At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Well, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going running all the way back. This is VEASAN's College Football Betting Podcast. Week zero is in the books, and we are looking ahead to a full slate of Labor Day action in college football. Welcome in, everyone. It is the VEASAN College Football Betting Podcast. This will be your typical Tuesday morning edition. I am joined by Adam Burke. You will be joining me throughout the football season on this episode of the podcast. Quick housekeeping Uh, We mentioned when we did our first show that there might be maybe another episode dropping in this feed, and there will be. The show that airs on Sunday mornings from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern on VEASAN, the College Lines Revealed program hosted by JVT, Jonathan Von Tobel, of course. Uh, That will be part of this feed, so you'll be getting that on Sunday. Instant reaction to the opener's of college football, so you'll get that this Sunday heading into week number two. But without further ado, Adam Burke is in the house. Week zero is in the books. And Scott Frost, did have we had confirmation yet? Has he returned from Ireland? Was he allowed on the team charter back to Ireland? 28-17, to and yet another loss for Scott Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers in a one-possession heartbreaker. They lose 31-28. to 28. And uh, anyone out there, I know Matt Eumann's on the show on our podcast, said take the Purple Cats. Great call by Matt. Uh, but he didn't say take them on the money line. That would have been a nice little cash there. But uh, Scott Frost doing Scott Frostian things here uh, in Week 0. Yeah, I got to say, if they did let him come back stateside uh that had to be a pretty uncomfortable flight with how hot the seat must have been (laughs) on that plane I look you know I I wanted to be high on Nebraska coming into this I did too because I I was thinking about this I'm thinking okay I think a lot of these problems are Adrian Martinez he just doesn't make a lot of good decisions with the football turns it over in really inopportune places on the field either deep in his own territory or in the red zone but here we are again, as you mentioned, another close loss. They had nine losses by single digits last year. Now they already start this season with one as a basically two-touchdown favorite 
Um, you know, at least in the middle of the week, that number did come down a little bit. But man, it's just it's it's not a good look for Scott Frost. And you wonder how long the athletic department will keep watching this, where that is a pretty decent roster that he's squandering. Yeah, and uh, you know, the the hot takes were out there after the first drive that looked uh, absolutely terrific for Nebraska about the addition of Mark Whipple and the addition of Casey Thompson. I was one of those dopes. Uh, I didn't bet the game, but I felt like, you know, with the schedule the way that it was, they had a real opportunity to win the Big Ten West. And I guess anything is possible now, but certainly put yourself behind the eight ball losing uh, against a team that many believe would be the worst team in the Big Ten West. But credit to Pat Fitzgerald and his bunch. They get it done. Uh, the onsides kick that will be remembered forever. Uh, in uh, in Dublin there, 28-17, to 17, they kicked the onsides kick, and it feels like that just uh, kind of turned the momentum against Nebraska. Uh, I, I think this stat, I tweeted this out uh, over the weekend, 1-9 in their last 10 games, and the point differential is negative 2. I mean, that is almost impossible to pull off, but that is the situation that Nebraska is in. Uh, they just lose, it feels like, every game by single digits, uh, who knows? Maybe they'll bounce back this weekend and absolutely hammer North Dakota. Um, but yeah, not a not a great way to start for Nebraska. But uh, you know, kudos to Northwestern. They were able to run the ball. They've got a really good offensive line. I thought Helinski looked much better than than I expected, Adam. So you know, maybe the Purple Cats are going to be a little feistier uh, than than expected. And that brings me into uh, what you have up on Veasan.com, your adjusted power rating. So. Uh, before we jump into who you adjusted, uh, your piece is really interesting to me uh, because you kind of lay out, and I know you put this out uh, on vcent.com earlier, how to make your power ratings. So kind of dive into how you put together your power ratings, how you adjust your power ratings, and, and moving forward. Yeah, so the power ratings process is something I do over the summer. I, I wait until the guides come out just because they help. I mean, we have free agency in college football now. Yep. It's very hard to keep track of <laughs> Casey Thompson at Nebraska. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's just very hard to keep track of where everybody's going. So I wait for the guides to come out, and then I start grading the position groups. And I grade them basically on a scale from 4 to 10 for certain positions and about 5 to 15 for others. 60% of my power rating is made up of the quarterback room, the offensive and defensive lines, and then coaching and special teams. The other 40% would be the skill guys, running backs and wide receivers, linebackers and defensive backs. So I get a power rating up to 100 for each team in the country, and they're kind of scaled based on not only national strength, but also conference strength, right? So a team like Alabama is going to be close to 100. They're 98.5, Ohio State 97.5, Georgia 95.5, and then on down from there. But the top team in the Sun Belt, you know, in Appalachian State will be in the low 70s, something like that. You know, uh, Clemson's in the upper 80s. They're the top team in the ACC. So, again, it's on a conference basis, but then also a national basis. And that's what I use to make my lines for every game coming up there that week where I take the difference between the two teams, add my home field advantage, and that's how I get my spread on the game. What the real art is of this process, and it's, it's very subjective, is adjusting them throughout the course of the season. So for me, it's a three-step process. The first thing that I do is I compare my line with what the closing line was because the closing line is going to be the most efficient number in the shelf life of that line because it's going to have all the bets that have come in worldwide on that game. So I'll make my adjustments based on the closing line. So if my line was minus six and the game closed minus 10, 
Then it's up to me to decide, do I adjust both teams two points? Do I adjust one team three points, one team one point? Do I go to the full minus 10? Then I, the second thing that I do is I study the box scores. I find out why the game played out the way that it did. For example, Nevada and New Mexico State <laughs> was a game here this weekend where Nevada was plus five in turnover margin. They got out gained in the game. They got out gained badly on a yards per play basis, but they won the game because New Mexico State was minus five in turnovers. So I go in and I look at that and I think, okay, why did this game play out the way that it did? Because Nevada actually covered. They didn't cover the opening number yeah. of 16, but they covered the, the late week too, number. Yeah, yeah you, exactly. It middled it. So that's something where even though Nevada won and covered, I still downgraded the Wolfpack off of that performance because it wasn't <laughs> good. They just won the turnover margin in such a lopsided way. So I make adjustments based on that. And then lastly, and this is the hardest one, checking for injuries. Mm. Finding injury information, particularly in the group of five, is very, very difficult in college football. But you think about a situation like UConn. So UConn's not a good team anyway, but Taquan Robin Roberson goes out with a torn ACL. He won their quarterback battle. He was a transfer from Penn State, easily the most promising quarterback on the roster. So even though UConn covered and actually looked okay against Utah State, I still downgraded UConn because of the Roberson injury. So that's my process, comparing my line to the closing line, looking at the box scores, and then finding injury information. Yeah, uh, UConn, in some people's minds, are a great team because you know good teams win, great teams cover. So good good cover there for uh, for the Huskies, and uh, our program director, John Goulet, was... Uh, was fired up uh, to uh, to be able to back his Huskies. I actually took a little bit on the on the Huskies. Uh, we had Brad Powers on uh, on the nightcap a couple weeks ago, and he took he's he recommended taking the twenty eight. Uh, I I thought this might have been a little bit of a look ahead spot, and certainly when UConn gets off to the start that they had, uh, being up fourteen to nothing, I think a lot of people, if you were sitting down on Saturday and you were watching these games. You had an opportunity, a real good opportunity to to middle that. If you had taken the 28 and then came back on Utah State, you know, laid a touchdown or whatever it may have been, really good opportunity there uh, for Utah State, who, is, oh, by the way, is just a six-touchdown underdog this week as they go to Alabama. Uh, just quick observation on Utah State. They can't stop anything on the defensive front. So good luck uh, trying to stop Jameer Gibbs and, uh, and that Alabama uh, running attack. Um, Imagine giving up 6.3 yards per carry to UConn. <laughs> which, no, I can't. Which is, which is probably the reason why. I mean, that line was not as high last week as it is now. Well, and that's, and, and that's, and I think yeah. it's, that's an important thing, too, real quick to mention about the power ratings is, like, for week two, I'll make my lines on Friday before the week one games even get played just to avoid massive overreaction. You know, if, if a 14-point favorite loses by 30, there's going to be a huge overreaction from that game to the next game. But I don't really want that to be the case for me. So I make my lines on Friday for the next week's games just to kind of ensure that, you know, I don't over-adjust a team based on just one data point. Well, I want to get into week one games, especially the games that we have uh, involving teams that played in week zero. You know, on this podcast for people moving forward, this podcast is mainly going to be focusing on maybe some early line movements. Uh, uh, Adam and I, especially as the year goes on, we're going to try to pinpoint some, you know, letdown spots, some, uh, you know, opportunities to overlook an opponent, um, some look-ahead spots. So that's what this 
podcast on Tuesday mornings or late, late Monday nights, depending on when you might be tuning in, uh, listening into this podcast, are going to focus on. We're going to do the deep dives more so on Thursday when Matt Humans joins us. But there's a lot of weekday games this week. And when Matt and myself, you know, get together on Thursday, we'll try to focus mainly on the Saturday games. So Thursday games, a heavy slate this week. There's some Friday games as well. And we'll also look at some group of five teams. So, um, you know, taking away from the weekend, Adam, and then looking ahead, I do want to get to a game that is maybe a bit of a dumpster dive, but it involves a team that played last weekend. And you mentioned Nevada. And this is a team that many people at our network is looking to fade in the Nevada Wolfpack with everybody that left. And then the performance that they had and look, if you got in on New Mexico State early, well done, uh, because as you mentioned, you could have covered that the opening line and for a little while, but ultimately the closing line, you didn't get there. But I actually loved this result because I did not take a stance on Saturday's game. But when we were talking on the nightcap last week, I, I forget who I was talking to, Adam, but I said, look at that look ahead line or not, you know, week one lines had been out. Texas State was getting five. Now it opened 10 and a half, so I didn't get the greatest number. But I said, I'm going to take the five because I think Nevada is going to have the chance to lay a dud. And even though they won, they did lay a dud. And now you look at that line and it is Nevada minus one, Nevada a pick. So to your point of trying not to overreact, I look at this Texas State team. You know, this is a this is a pivotal year for Jake Spavital, right? This is year four for him. They've slowly gotten better every year. I think it was two wins, three wins, and last year was four wins. They bring in Lane Hatcher, the transfer from Arkansas State. Uh, 14 starters returning, went heavy in the transfer portal, brought in 20-plus players in the transfer portal, which could be good or bad. I just think the desperation there for Texas State is there. They get the tape on Nevada, which I think is important. Um, you know, I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like for a mid-afternoon game in Reno uh, with, with the mass exodus that they had last year for this Wolfpack team. I like Texas State. I don't know if I like them necessarily at a pick, uh, but you know, at five, I, I certainly was in favor of it. I, I just think this Nevada team is, is really bad. Yeah, they, they don't appear to be very good. 78 passing yards on 14 <laughs> completions. Against uh, a secondary, I think that was pointed out on social media. I don't think Paul Stone pointed this out, or uh, whoever it may have been. That is, I believe, last year was 130th in the country in deep in, in the in the in the secondary, and they averaged what four yards per pass. Yeah, and I mean, look, New Mexico State, 129th in my power ratings. So you know, bottom three team in the country, and you know, I mean, if they take better care of the football, they may very well end up winning that game. Look, I think a lot of people were low on Nevada for a variety of different reasons. The mass exodus. I know you talked last week on our first show about Nevada's returning production and how it's one of the lowest. It is the lowest that Bill Connolly's seen, <laughs> and they were changing offensive schemes too where, you know, they're going to be more of a run-heavy type of team, and they were. I mean, they ran the ball 45 times. They only threw it 23 times. So they were that run-heavy team that we kind of expected them to be. Now, one thing about misleading final scores is that there will be line movement early on in the week, and this was a misleading final score, the 23-12 to Nevada win over New Mexico State. So just for the listeners out there, I think it's really important to point out I do the deep dive on the box scores. Not everybody does, but you will see line moves Sunday night into Monday morning and then on throughout the day on Monday of fades of those teams that go plus five and turnover margin and still eke out a win or eke out a cover. So that's important. But look, the thing of it is for me here, 
I mean, I, I still have Nevada three and a half point favorite, and I know they looked awful, and they looked awful against a really bad team. But, you know, look, I, I think there's something to be said about playing a game, getting that out of the way, being able to figure out in real game conditions what's wrong because you don't get preseason football in college. You know, you just wind up playing each other in practice. So for Nevada, at least maybe there's that. Maybe they can look a little bit better based on knowing what they need to improve upon, what they need to fix. And I'm still not very high on Texas State anyway. So again, you know, I make my lines the week before. I even bumped down Nevada a little bit. I had them about a five and a half point favorite going into that game. Now I have them a three and a half point favorite, uh, but I will not be betting on them. I mean, I just, I can't. So that's one of those where you know, look at headlines do come out. If you can grab some line value, then you definitely try to do it. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. Yeah. And and sometimes you do that and it doesn't work out in your advantage. I mean, Nevada can't, could have come out and, and look great. Uh, I think we were all pretty confident that wouldn't be the case, but, uh, and it wasn't the case, uh, but they do have the sweet trident uh, now. That uh, that is super lame. The, for the turnover trident. I don't understand why a trident is with the team nicknamed the Wolfpack, but you know what? I don't try to figure things out. Uh, maybe they need tridents up in uh, up in Reno. I, I don't know. Um, so uh, that is uh, that is a mystery. I will maybe never know the answer to. We're gonna deep dive into a couple really interesting G five versus Power Five games. Uh, one that I've made a bet, and I think one that Adam will be on too. Uh, on Saturday, which actually is one of my favorite games. But let's jump into some of the weekday games. If there's anything that you find playable, Adam, uh, and certainly I know there's a lot of excitement around the the return of the backyard brawl. Um, Pittsburgh is right now laying seven and a half as of uh, recording on Monday night. I see one eight out there at Circa, a total that has come down at fifth to 51. Uh, it seems like that, Adam, has been the initial move is folks... Uh, taking the under in this West Virginia-Pittsburgh game. Uh, Pittsburgh, of course, pretty significant turnover with uh, with uh, with Kenny Pickett moving on to the NFL, Jordan Addison transferring to USC, uh, Whipple, their OC, going to, uh, going to Nebraska. They bring in Boston College's OC. Uh, Pat Narduzzi apparently wants to run the ball a lot more, so maybe that's why you would look at an under here. Uh, I know with your power ratings, you actually have a play uh, in this one. Yeah, I do have a little bit of an overlay in this game. I have Pitt an 11.5 point favorite here. Market number 7.5 as we're recording on, on Monday evening. And as you mentioned, that total down to 51. Haven't played this yet because I'm kind of concerned about Pitt's ability to win by margin. Because now they go with that Frank Signetti offense who was the OC at Boston College. And if you can out-physical a team, then you can have success with that Signetti offense. I don't know if Pitt can do that here against West Virginia because West Virginia is a team they've kind of been predicated on the run for the last little while themselves. They are changing that a little bit now. In fact, they're going to more of a pass-heavy type of offense, sort of an old-school West Virginia kind of offense, like back when they had Geno Smith and some of those other guys. So I think these two teams are – there's a lot of question marks you know, with them both on the offensive side. So – I don't think I'm going to lay this, even though I have a little bit of a power ratings difference in this game, just because, like I said, I, I think that maybe I'm a little bit high on Pitt coming off of last year's power rating, maybe not adjusting them down enough. And maybe I'm just a little bit low on West Virginia, where they are going to try to be a little bit more creative on offense. And we'll see if it works for them here uh, in the backyard brawl, which people will probably talk about this. And I write a situational betting spots piece over at vcin.com. People will probably talk about this being a rivalry game and this and that. They haven't played since 2011. 
those kids were in junior high. It's not really a rivalry game for them. Well, it's for the fans. So it is for the fans. Yeah. I, so, I just like as a college football fan, I get games like this on the schedule. I like it. Uh, I, I don't. I have no idea what that atmosphere is going to be like. I think most of us, especially people listening to this, who are probably pretty hardcore college football fans like you and I, you know, we remember, uh, you know, uh, Pitt derailing West Virginia's national championships aspirations when Rich Rod was there, one of their final meetings. So, yeah, we'll see. That'll be played up. I, I do like this game is kind of on a Thursday island type of situation. But, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, I need to see. I, I want to believe in West Virginia a little bit. You know, it's it's the battle of former USC quarterbacks here. Uh, you bring in Graham Harrell, speaking of former USC. Uh, he takes over the reins as the offensive coordinator. So there's a little bit of intrigue that I have there when it comes to comes to this West Virginia team. Um, you know, bring back a decent amount of talent on the offensive side of the football. But at the end of the day, I, I'm going to pass on this one. If anything, I'd look under. Uh, but that number has has certainly been on a steady move, right? It's been, I think, bet all the way down as a record four and a half points or so from the opener. So a lot of movement towards the under, a little bit of movement on the spread. I think is high. I think this open as low as like five, six in favor uh, of, uh, of Pittsburgh and has, has ballooned up to over a touchdown. And I think something that's really important for everybody out there is, you know, a lot of people bet because they like the action. Sure. A lot of people bet because, you know, games are on TV. They want to watch them, this and that. Even if you don't make a bet, on this game we're talking about two new offensive coordinators we're talking about two new starting quarterbacks we're talking about a lot of new things for these two teams to where maybe you want to file some things away you know maybe you want to pay attention to a game like this where you may not have a bet now but you may be able to find a bet next week or in two weeks or something like that based on kind of what you saw West Virginia right like I said I mean they had a thousand yard rusher in Letty Brown last year but now they've brought in Graham Harrell they're not going to run the football as much. <laughs> no. How efficient does their passing game look against what's a pretty good pit defense? You know, are they able to protect the quarterback with a pit team that's kind of made its hay by getting after the quarterback over the last several seasons? So I think this this is a kind of a fact-finding mission on West Virginia that maybe has some carryover for future games. Sticking with Thursday, Penn State and Purdue, that game will be on broadcast TV on Fox. Uh, another Big Ten game to open up the season. Last year, we had Minnesota taking on Ohio State. I know Ohio State covered that game, but it certainly didn't feel like that was going to be the case. And then Mo Ibrahim went down. We're going to get to Minnesota. Uh, they are on the field on uh, on Thursday night as well, taking on New Mexico State. How about that start to the season? New Mexico State is going to have two games under their belts uh, before most teams play any. Uh, and that game will be on uh, on Thursday night as well. But Penn State at Purdue. Um, you know, as people who don't know me by now, I am, I wouldn't say a blind fader of the public, but it, it, it certainly plays into, you know, where I am. And this isn't a reverse line movement situation, but it's a situation where the line isn't moving a ton, but I know that your power ratings have Penn state as a, almost a touchdown favorite in this spot. I just think this is a really tricky spot but Purdue this is what I'll say I haven't late I haven't taken the points with Purdue that's the way I would lean in this spot uh just because it it has the feelings to me of what we saw last year Adam to open up the year which was UNC went on the road to Virginia Tech and everybody in the world was on UNC and they laid an egg and Virginia Tech got after them and they won that game now 
I think Penn State is obviously a much better team, and I think they're they're they've got an opportunity to have a big season in, in my you know my belief of them under you know Sean Clifford's back for another year. They got a really talented running back room there. Um, but I I would be Purdue or pass in this spot. Curious your thoughts on, on what you see because I know your power ratings probably lean a little bit towards the Boilermakers here. Yeah, you know, this is a tricky one because for Penn State last year, I mean, their running game was extremely inefficient, just 3.2 yards per carry. And Jahan Dotson was such a big part of this passing game. 12 touchdowns, 13 yards per reception, had almost 1,200 receiving yards, caught 91 passes. And that's the question that I have is who is going to emerge as the top target here? And, you know, I know there's been a little bit of a quarterback controversy and some question as to who's actually going to get the job there. With Penn State, will multiple guys play, which is something that seems like it's kind of a factor around the country here. But I'd be concerned here about Penn State's, again, ability to win by margin. And it's not a big number. Three, three and a half out there is the market number. But the move that I do agree with is the under. Mm. Because for Penn State here, you know, Dotson was such a big part, had such a huge target share. You've got to figure that out now. And I think that's something that may be a little bit of a challenge for Penn State, who... I think James Franklin is a good motivator, a good speaker, a good kind of front face for the program. He's also not a very good head coach, I don't think, in terms of in-game adjustments. And I feel like he's kind of at a disadvantage here in this first game against Purdue. So for me, I'm looking more at the under than, than taking a look at the side here in this one. But I do have Penn State. I actually noticed a typo in my article, but I do have Penn State a six-point favorite <laughs> uh, in that game. So, you know, it's it's one of those where – yeah, there's a little bit of power ratings value, but again, I need bigger differences between my power ratings and the market number early on in the year to play these because we're all trying to figure out these teams all at the same time. We can read as much as we want. We can read practice reports. I know our, our mutual friend Brad Powers watches spring games, but until you actually see these teams, it's a little bit challenging here in week one. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to this game, though. That's probably the game I'm looking forward to the most on Thursday night, Adam, and like I said, uh, at three and a half, probably would be the lean towards me. Um, you know, come maybe Thursday's pod or on Twitter uh, at one Tim Murray, I'll, I'll let you know if I'm going to ride with the Boilermakers. But a home team catching points there, juiced up atmosphere at West Lafayette National TV, which isn't something that I wouldn't say Purdue is not aware of, right? But they they don't get the opportunity to be in the spotlight like they are, you know, this Thursday night. Uh, Aiden O'Connell back, but I, I do think one thing, obviously, that is that is so important to you know recognize. In addition to the fact that Purdue is replacing a ton of coaches on that coaching staff now, Jeff Brom is back for his sixth year, but he is got to replace a lot of different pieces there on that coaching staff. Um, you know, you're replacing David Bell, uh, you know, a, an NFL draft pick and and a incredible player that. Who was it he lit up? Was it Michigan State last year that he absolutely torched last year? Yeah, when they beat uh, Michigan State, when Michigan State was, you know, top five in the country. And then George Karloftis, the first-round pick. So they, they have to replace a lot. They do return, I think, total 14 starters uh, on the offensive side. So Purdue would be the look for me uh, initially on uh, on Thursday night. So in total, FBS versus FBS on Thursday night, Adam. We've got six games a handful of FBS versus FCS games. Um, so I don't know if anything jumps out at you uh, on, on that front. But uh, to wrap up the Thursday slate, any other games you want to kind of key in on 
uh, when it comes to uh, the Thursday night slate this week? No, I, you know what? I want to go to Friday because yeah. there's a really fascinating development here in the market with the first game on the board by rotation number 153, 154 is Illinois and Indiana. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us, I think here at the network, were on Illinois last week and they were arguably the most impressive team to play in week zero. And they were really strong in that game against Wyoming. Now, of course, Wyoming lost a lot. We knew that they would be pretty weak offensively, and that was certainly the case. But the numbers steamed up, by the way, uh, if you didn't play it or, or maybe you got it early. Because I know I did see a lot of people at the network, you know, took Illinois. I did not because I felt like I was late to the party. Uh, closed 14, open like nine. And obviously, all of them cleared because they won by 32. Yeah, I took the minus 10 in that one. I had that game lined at 13 and a half. So it moved towards my number, which is a good sign, at least for my power rating on those two teams. But I was intentionally high on Illinois, I thought, coming into the season because I like Tommy DeVito. I think that's a nice pickup for Brett Bielema's team. Uh, you know, Chase Brown, the running back, is very good. I saw a stat about him in terms of his yards after contact last season. He was very, very effective in that regard. So I liked Illinois coming into the year. They played really well in that first game, and they were plus three and a half, plus four on the look-ahead line against Indiana, and now they're only plus three. So they a little, the line came down a little bit, but I would have expected more movement on that one. I have that game line to pick them. So I feel like Illinois has got some value here again this week. Plus three, I think you could sprinkle the money line in this game as well. I like the idea that Illinois got to go out there and be physical with somebody else. Because I think they can kind of push Indiana around here. An Indiana team that lost eight straight to finish last season. Yeah, Indiana's a team uh, that I took a little on their under four and a half wins. And I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, I mentioned Thursday night. I think the public side will be Penn State heavily. I think the public's going to be on Illinois here. Uh, just because that would be my guess, right? They looked impressive. Mm-hmm. Um similar to what them looking impressive last year in Week 0, beating Nebraska as a home dog, and then they turned around and they lost to UTSA, a UTSA team that went on to win their conference. I just think Indiana, you know, from everything that we've heard, is is going to be pretty poor this year, and they're coming off a 2-10 and season, as you mentioned. Now, I know Michael Penix was, was hurt last year, uh, the majority of the season, but he leaves, uh, he goes and, uh, and joins forces with, uh, with Kalen DeBoer out there in Washington, um, you know, this is a team that lost a good chunk of their pieces. Connor Bazelak comes in from Missouri to be their starter. I mean, is that really moving the needle for you? So I, I'd be fascinated to see, you know, what happens here. And to your point, I mean, Chase Brown looked the part against a, a rather depleted lineup. So I, I was surprised, too, because we've seen, we saw some pretty big line moves with teams that play. We mentioned Texas State and Nevada, Adam. Um, you know, you think about um, – Trying to think of some other rather hefty line moves just based off of uh, of what we Western saw. Western Kentucky ballooned. I mean, they had already yeah, gone up, uh, but now Hawaii they've gone up even more. Absolutely putrid. Uh, you know, North. I mean, Car- I mean, giving up sixty three points to Vanderbilt's a bad look. Not great. No, not great. No, not great. Um, North Carolina uh, didn't look all that impressive against Florida A and M. That line is now rather interesting. We're going to get to that game uh, with North Carolina going to Boone on uh, a noon kickoff on Saturday. So. Yeah, that one is 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 fascinating to me. The total has come down uh, right now as a, as we sit here on uh, on Tuesday or Monday night as we record. Adam, uh, I'm looking at a, as low as a 45 on the board at circa 46 and a half. So that probably is coming down. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would be surprised. This would be great for me if Illinois can win this game for the season win total under for the, for the uh, for the Hoosiers there. So uh, maybe that's just the way I roll. But yeah, I mean, it's hard not to look at a team like Illinois coming off of that win, uh, kind of trying to keep it rolling against Indiana. Yeah, and the thing of it is, I'm I'm kind of curious if by the time we release this on Tuesday morning, if this number is still three. This almost feels like one that you kind of want to go out there and get right now because it's probably going to come down to two and a half, and we'll see if there is some Indiana resistance at that point in time. But I don't really see any reason for anybody to want to believe in Indiana. And again, Illinois coming off of an impressive performance, albeit against a Wyoming team that, that is depleted a little bit. I want to talk about the next game that's on the board too real quick, Virginia Tech and Old Dominion. So I love these kinds of games early on in the year. I love when Big Brother travels to a Little Brother type of team. I am a huge fan of of that situation. I think it can be overblown a little bit. I think there will be some people that are like, oh, you know, this is Old Dominion's bowl game. This is their Super Bowl, whatever the case may be. And they did beat Virginia Tech 49-35 when the two teams played in Norfolk a few years ago. But I think what's really fascinating about this game is Old Dominion, now they didn't play in 2020. They sat out the entire COVID year. They did practice a little bit with, um, you know, all the personnel that was there. And it seemed like they grew up quite a bit. They were very good in the second half of last year. They were one of the most improved teams in the country. Made a bowl game. Whereas Virginia Tech, I don't really know what's happening in Blacksburg. I, I didn't really love the Brent Pry hire. We'll see if it works out. But, I mean, they're laying over a touchdown here on the road against Old Dominion. And, and I think that number is just a little bit too high. I have it six and a half personally. I will end up taking Old Dominion here. Um, I don't know if this line is going to go up any. But I will be on the Monarchs in this game, getting over a touchdown in what, you know, another game where the total is coming down a little bit. So that's kind of a trend that we've seen uh, throughout the week one market. But I just feel like Old Dominion, a lot of continuity there with them. Whereas for Virginia Tech, a lot of things in a state of flux. Well, you look at Old Dominion and uh, I think Circa got as high as 10 in favor of the Hokies. And then there, were buy there was buyback. And we're looking at eight and a half, some eights out there, uh, mostly uh, here on Monday. I wouldn't disagree whatsoever. Uh, you know, you look at an Old Dominion team, uh, six and six last year. Uh, they won their what last five games of the year, Adam, down the stretch to make a bowl game. Uh, ultimately, lost to Tulsa in that bowl game, but still to make a bowl game, really in in Ricky Ronnie's what first full season because he went down there and as you mentioned, they didn't play any games, right? Um, and I believe I could be wrong. I believe they were the youngest team in the country in 2019. They played a ton of freshmen because they just they didn't have a whole lot. They didn't have a whole lot of upperclassmen. So maybe wrong on that, but I know they were at least one of the youngest teams in 2019. And they, and they bring back, I mean, they bring back almost everybody. I right. mean, their offense is almost completely intact. I don't know, you know, you cover the, the G5 really closely. You know, what is your opinion on... Grant Wells, are, are you excited by the fact that he's the Virginia Tech quarterback heading into this year? Are you kind of lukewarm? What's your feel on 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 what to expect from Grant Wells as a starter in uh, at at uh, Virginia Tech? You know, Grant Wells is a guy. He's he's very inconsistent from play to play. You know, I mean, he he had a lot of interceptions during his time at Marshall. He also had some games where he wound up playing really really well. Doesn't move the needle for me all that much with the Hokies. Um, and, and again, I, I think more uh, the bigger problem for Virginia Tech has been, you know, Bud Foster kind of lost some zip on that fastball towards the end. 
and the defense has never really rebounded. And, and Justin Fuente, I thought was a good hire going to Virginia Tech. I was very impressed with the job <laughs> that he did at Memphis. Me and too. It just didn't work out that way. So this is a team where, you know, I do sort of wonder how that recruiting pipeline's been going. I do wonder about their depth and, you know, having to go with, you know, a, a transfer quarterback like Grant Wells. You know, that's not something that Virginia Tech usually has to do all that often. They kind of have somebody waiting in the wings. So I'm kind of concerned about the overall health uh, of this roster. And who knows? Maybe we'll kind of see it, uh, you know, play out here on Friday night. Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting look. And I've heard some people that I trust uh, and respect, you know, look at Old Dominion maybe as a, as a long shot to win the Sun Belt. I, I don't know if I'd go that far. But, um, you know, this is, like you said, this is an opportunity uh, in 2018, obviously they pulled off the stunner against Virginia Tech at home, 49 to 35. And uh, the following year they lost, but did cover in 2019, the year that they uh, only won a game and uh, in 2019. So uh, I think you've kind of piqued my interest a little bit there on ODU, a team that I uh, mentioned on the first podcast, Adam. Uh, I I'm not going to bet this game because I am pretty heavily invested in their season win total under but I certainly need it to happen. It's Colorado and TCU. Uh, TCU, obviously, new coaching situation. Uh, they bring in, um, you know, Gillespie to run their defense, uh, which is, uh, I think, in addition to, obviously, Sonny Dykes coming in to be their, their head coach. Um, I'm not going to lay 13.5 for TCU on the road, but I could see this thing getting ugly. I just There's just not much there for Colorado. We, we explained uh, a bit about it last week. I'll kind of give a Cliff Notes version. Uh, they're... You know, they got depleted in the portal. Their top two corners, their safety. Their safety is actually starting for TCU uh, from a year ago. They're running back. They're two of their top four receivers. I mean, tons just rolled out of Boulder, uh, and they've got a really brutal schedule. So I'm not going to play this game personally. I do have the season win total under three and a half. If that's still available uh, at time of listening, uh, I would go ahead and play that. Uh, but anything else on Friday uh, that, uh, that jumps out at you, whether it be in an and one of the FBS situations um, or in the FBS versus FCS uh, showdowns? Well, a couple of things in the TCU-Colorado game real quick. The first is, so Sonny Dykes came out uh, actually on, on Monday and said that all three quarterbacks may play in this game. The second thing is, we're asking a team now to win by two touchdowns on the road in Boulder, as bad as Colorado is. If he intends to play all three quarterbacks, can any of these guys get into a rhythm? You know, will any of these guys get multiple series in a row? You know, are they going to be able to go out there and go through their progressions, work through the offense and all of that? I don't really know. But the more I started looking at TCU coming into the year, and I don't know if it would be Max Duggan or Chandler Morris over the long haul, but I started looking at this team and I said, they're going to knock off somebody in the Big 12. They're going to beat an Oklahoma, or they're going to beat an Oklahoma State, or they're going to beat a Baylor, or they're going to beat a Texas. So they may win you know, two of those four games, but this is a team that's exceptionally talented. And I think it's a matter of kind of figuring out who that quarterback's going to be. And obviously, Sonny Dykes is kind of using this almost like a controlled scrimmage to go ahead and put all those guys out there. Uh, my number on this game is 11 and a half, so it's blown right through my number. So I either need to adjust, Col I, I need to adjust TCU because my Colorado projection was so low to begin with that I'm well below the market on the season win total. So it looks like I need to bump TCU a little bit, which makes me think I'm on the right track in terms of expecting them to do something 
special at some point this season. And and I would say this, you know, we, we said this in last week's pod, and it, it bears repeating. You know, these numbers have been up for months. So you know, the the wise guys, the respected betters, they they've been able to get in on a lot of these numbers. So, you know, buyer beware. Look, if you went out last weekend and, and you laid it with Vanderbilt, even at a bad number, you know, kudos to you because they absolutely steamrolled Hawaii. Uh, if you laid it with Illinois, kudos to you. It, it's certainly possible to beat that closing number, but just, you know, be careful. And I think for me, a lot of what I'm going to do, I will have a couple bets out there. I've, I've You know, I have Texas State. Uh, I'm intrigued now by Old Dominion a little bit. I'm not going to go nuts, uh, but I certainly, you know, I, I would just be kind of, careful a little bit when it comes to you know betting this week and and for me a lot of what I'm going to do you know with for a team for example like TCU Adam I'm really intrigued by them you know you bring in Sonny Dykes you know the Gillespie if you're not aware he was at Tulsa they had some really really talented defenses under his you know tutelage very well respected and I think that's a guy that that is going to get a lot of uh you know a lot of lot out of this this TCU defense. So that's what I'm going to keep an eye on mostly when it comes to this TCU-Colorado game, and in addition to the fact that I really need Colorado to just lose this game because I'm in on, on their under pretty, uh, pretty heavily. You know, I'll say this, too. One thing I think is kind of important to point out here, you know, a, a lot of times we get fixated on talking about giving out the picks or handicapping games, stuff like that, but – the thing that really separates the people that have success with this is you've got, would you get Texas state plus five plus, plus five, five and a half. Yeah. Five. So there's an argument to be made with coming back on Nevada at pick. Yeah. And, and having a shot at that middle with numbers like three and four. Mm-hmm. And I think if we were deeper into the season where the markets is a little bit more efficient, the lines are a little bit more, you know, they're set with more confidence. They're a little more trustworthy. If you had a five point middle, I would absolutely take a little bit back on Nevada. But here, when you talk about a pretty inefficient market for the most part, where we're not exactly sure what we're going to get from Texas State, and we already saw what we could get from Nevada, and it wasn't very good, it's one of those things where, you know, now you don't mess with that five-point middle. You take the good number that you got, and you'd be happy with it. But there's a case to be made down the line for maybe looking to play a middle. So, I think sometimes people maybe get a little bit selfish. They'll kind of look at it and say, oh, you know, well, I got I got five points of value. Now let me play the other side because the books can't be off by that much. Early in the season, it's certainly a possibility. So I think in your case, getting the plus five, you take that, you're happy with that, you hope it wins. If it doesn't, you got a really good number, and who knows why it, it you know, might not. It could be a situation like last week. Maybe Texas State's minus five in turnovers. Nevada somehow wins and covers again. But you got a good number. And the reality of it is, all you can control is getting the best number that you possibly can. Because once you submit that ticket, you just hope the game plays out in your favor. All right, Adam. Uh, like I mentioned, we're not normally going to go in-depth on the Saturday games. Um, just because we have another podcast coming out later this week. Uh, myself and Matt Humans will break them down. But there are some really, you know, interesting you know, showdowns in addition to the obvious Notre Dame, Ohio State and Oregon, you know, taking on Georgia, which, by the way, both of those lines are 17 or higher. So you could argue, well, maybe those aren't the most interesting games of the weekend. You know, one game that I immediately pinpointed uh, this weekend, and it's it's a G5 team hosting a power five team, as you mentioned, like Friday night with the old Dominion, Virginia Tech situation. Uh, I don't know why North Carolina decided to go to Boone, North Carolina 
Uh, that seems like a terrible decision uh, to go on the road to App State to a team, oh, by the way, who beat them just a couple years ago. Um, but to me, and I know you wrote up the uh, Sun Belt for the College Football Betting Podcast, so your knowledge on, on App State is, is pretty high. Um, North Carolina played last week. I was unimpressed. Uh, they gave up a lot of uh, offensive yardage to a Florida A&M team who was depleted uh, due to suspensions to key players. So App State, 38-5 and at home their last seven years. 5-0 and ATS in their last five games against Power 5 teams. As I mentioned, they beat North Carolina in 2019. I think, you know, really good offensive line, maybe the best in the Sun Belt. Got, uh, as you pointed out in the, the college football betting guy, they've got a pair of running backs and peoples and Noel combined to rush for over 2,000 yards. Chase Bryce, whether you like him or not, back for another season as their as their coach, uh, as their quarterback down there. Um, we saw movement in this market uh, early on Monday. Uh, saw a little bit of a buyback from North Carolina. I took App State on the money line. And, and maybe, you know, as, as I'm sitting right here, it looks like Circa just popped a two on, on, on Monday night. So some, some resistance, some buyback on North Carolina. Um, but a home, really strong Power 5 team on a UNC team that's got questions. First-year defensive coordinator down there. Um, yeah, I, I like App State in this spot. Yeah, I can't argue with anything that you said. I mean, I have App State a small favorite in this game of two and a half. Um, you know, look, Boone is at a little bit of elevation, so that may be something that does hurt North Carolina later on in this game. They gave up over 4.6 yards per carry last year. So, yeah. new defensive coordinator, but how much does he help with that? Was it a scheme issue? Was it talent in the trenches? You know, were they able to kind of shed those offensive linemen? Were they able to kind of free up the linebackers to make tackles? Because App State is a remarkably efficient group of five team every year. It's just a very sound program. They've had some coaching turnover as well, and they haven't really missed a beat. Uh, Sean Clark's been there for a, for a little while now since Scott Satterfield left, but they just they do what they do, and they do it extremely well, and they've got the ability when they get ahead to stay ahead because that running game is just so strong, so good. And, of course, for North Carolina, you know this is a team that when you look at them the last several years, they have to outscore the opposition to win. They're not holding the other team's offense down. And what does this offense look like now without Sam Howell? Are they going to be as productive as they had been in the past to kind of give that defense some margin for error? My answer, at least for right now, would be no. So I, I do like App State. I do agree with taking the money line there. Um, it's very hard for the game to land one at this point. So, you know, it would probably be take a little bit better of a price on the money line. You can take the plus one if you want to. Uh, like I said, I have App State a small favorite in this game. Uh, on a neutral field, you know, North Carolina would be a little bit of a favorite because I give App State such a healthy home field advantage. But the Mountaineers are really, really good. And this is a chance here against the North Carolina team that, you know, I don't think the Tar Heels will have their stride yet. Maybe they get it later on in the year. But App State is a team that, again, we talk about continuity early on in the year, returning production. I know Steve Mackinnon's big on stability and all of that. App State's the more stable team here. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, so we'll see if uh, App State uh, can pull off the the minor upset against uh, North Carolina. We'll see where that line ultimately closes. But uh, an intriguing spot. Uh, a couple other games I just want to you know throw at you. Um, a lot of people this offseason are very high on North Carolina State. I think you are as well. 
Um, you know, I, I get it, right? You bring back Devin Leary, uh, a team that was, you know, beat Clemson last year. Some people have thinks they have a chance to win the ACC this year if they can go out to Clemson on October 1st and win that game. I look at this East Carolina matchup, and I, I just, this is screaming, not a loss, but man, you better be careful, NC State. You better be buttoned up against ECU. This is, uh, you know, not to play cliche, as you mentioned, but this is more or less the Super Bowl for ECU. Getting North Carolina State into their home field in Greenville, uh, fourth year for Mike Houston. I think last year's 7-5 and five record, their bowl game got canceled against Boston College was a little, you know, they they benefited on some bad teams, right? They beat USF, Temple, Memphis. They needed overtime. They beat uh, Navy to get to bowl eligibility. Lost to South Carolina early on in the year. Uh, they bring back Holton Aylers for what it feels like his thousandth season. Uh, but they a lot of continuity is back for ECU. It's up to 12 now. So, you know, my initial belief, I don't have a bet on this game yet, was I'm going to take the points with East Carolina the market is disagreeing with my thought process. I, I still might roll with with the Pirates here, just uh, a little piece here. Um, but what are your thoughts on on ECU and, and NC State? And do you think this is a, a tricky spot potentially for NC State to open up the season on the road against a team like East Carolina? It, it definitely is a tricky spot. I mean, you know, the one thing about the AAC is that you get a lot of bad defense in that conference. And East Carolina gave up 4.71 yards per carry last year. They're 104th in the country uh, in that regard. So I'd be worried about how they hold up in the trenches. If they can't hold up in the trenches against AAC teams, what are they going to do against an ACC team that is one of the obviously better ones in the conference? So my number's 13 on this game. I do have a little bit higher than the market, um, but I'm not rushing to bet on NC State in this game because exactly what you mentioned. I mean, if East Carolina gets some measure of belief, some measure of hope early on in the game, that's how teams generally tend to hang around in these types of situations. Now, NC State is a very well-coached team. Usually, I'm much more worried about, like the Virginia Tech example that we had earlier on, right? I don't know if Brent Pry might be good. His first game as a head coach. But his first game as a head coach. You know, for NC State, I know what I'm getting. You know, I know what I'm going to get out of that program. I know the kinds of effort levels I'm going to get out of that program. So that's the one thing that kind of keeps me thinking, you know what, NC State's probably going to stay on track. They're going to stay focused. They're going to stay on task. And they just have better talent all over the field. So I do understand why this line's going up a little bit. Uh, Also, you know, you mentioned that Charleston Southern game last year for ECU, where maybe just early on in the year, they're not quite there. So maybe that's a concern for some betters out there. I think ultimately this probably that was after up- a win on the road at Marshall, though. So a little right. left down spot for ECU. Yeah, and it's important to talk about those things, too, because I think something that's really kind of fascinating here is that uh, East Carolina winds up playing Old Dominion next week. Mm-hmm. So you've got two teams that get this big brother coming to town. No. And then one of them or both of them could have a letdown in week two. And those are the things that you know, I, try, I always try to plan ahead and think about those so that I can attack those numbers when they come out. And you'll hear about those numbers on that line release show that we have on Sunday. Yeah, I'll make a prediction right now, Adam. If either one of these teams wins, uh, either Old Dominion on Friday or East Carolina on Saturday, uh, I will be on the opposite side. Uh, <laughs> come, that, come that game uh, next week. Uh, I, I want to wrap up, uh, just kind of rapid fire once again. We're, we're not going to go too in-depth on Saturday games, but 
I think a game that I was surprised that no network TV picked it up. I think it's on ESPN Plus. Uh, Army at Coastal. Um, you know, you wrote up the Sun Belt, so I'll get your opinion on this here in just a moment. But I, I think Coastal Carolina is in for a bit of a rude awakening this year. I mean, they've had a ridiculous run, a historical run. Uh, I know this is going to be on, you know, the teal turf, but. This is a team that went 22-3 and three over the last two years. Jamie Chadwell still there as their head coach. Uh, you know, they bring back Grayson McCall. But, man, that's pretty much it, right? Seven total starters come back. However, I read the guide, the college football betting guide. You wrote up the Sun Belt. You know this conference really well. And you like the over on Coast, Coastal Carolina. So maybe you can talk me into why Coastal Carolina might be the play here uh, against Army on Saturday. So the thing that worries me about the Chanticleers this season is the skill positions. They lost a lot of talent and a lot of production there with their skill positions. But when you look at this offensive scheme, the fact that Grayson McCall is back makes me think they can still have success. So basically, this is kind of a modified RPO type of offense where they have a ton of pre-snap motion and McCall makes the call at the line to see who's moving around, who's out of position on defense, and then they have you know a lot of hot routes, they have a lot of quick handoffs they can do, stuff like that, where they create a lot of mismatches on the outside. I worry about Army. Now, Army is very disciplined, obviously. The service academies mm -hmm. always are. So there is that. But Army also tends to be undersized on defense. The service academies are undersized Not Andre on Carter. Well... Every now and then, there's an exception. I'm just saying, that dude is a beast. He is. He is. He's going to be a first-round pick. But I, I love the the mentality and the mindset and the manner in which Coastal Carolina's offense operates. So I think they get their points in this game. And the nice thing about their offense, they are efficient. They're an explosive offense. They're a big play offense. They may not have the ball a lot in this game, so they're going to have to be efficient because, as we know, Army with that triple option, they run and run and run and take up the time of possession. So... I'm kind of thinking about this game as maybe an over, which is weird to talk about when you talk about, you know, the service academy games well, and all of that. Well, I would bring up the case in point would be Army Wake Forest last year. I mean, nobody right. could get a stop, and that game had, off the top of my head, 126 points, 70 to 56 in favor of Wake Forest. So Army couldn't stop them. But then you look at the explosivity of Army, which is rare, but they have that ability. And they, they got a lot of pieces back offensively. Now, Christian Anderson is gone. They haven't named a starting quarterback uh, yet. Uh, I think it will be, uh, I think it's Tyree Tyler, who got some uh, experience last year, started a handful of games, is a pretty good runner. Uh, I think the other option is better passer uh, moving forward there. But uh, a lot of their pieces are back. Their fullback and Buchanan is back. Robinson is back. Buchanan ran for 504 yards last year. Um, so a lot of the continuity is back for this army team, um, you know, but you're going on the road and this is, this is a big test for both of these teams. I'll say this. And I think, I can't, I think you might've mentioned this in the, in the preview there. Coastal Carolina is in a really advantageous spot to play army. Why? Because they've had all off season to prepare for the triple option. This isn't sneaking up on them, right? They have been, I'm sure talking about this game for months and preparing little bits and pieces. They probably even put some pieces in the spring to prepare for the season opener. So I think that is helpful for Coastal Carolina, the fact that this game is the opener. Yeah, I think so too. The one thing I will counter to that, though, is along with a lot of pre-snap motion on offense, they use a lot of pre-snap motion on defense to disguise their coverages, kind of disguise where pass rushers are coming from and all of that. 
that may not be the best thing against army because you have to be so gap responsible. So if you're moving around a lot pre-snap, they may end up leaving some gaps open, kind of missing some holes. But I, I just think Coastal Carolina is so extremely well coached that despite the loss of a lot of talent, I think that they can still be a really, really good team this year. All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, a couple other just quick hitters. One game that you brought up uh, that I want, that's definitely on my radar now. I don't think there's many look-ahead spots in week one, right? Because it's a season opener, you're excited for it. A game that you pointed out, I think, is a very, very interesting spot. And that would be South Dakota State, preseason number two in the FCS, always a, a quality program. I don't know how far they went. They didn't win the national title last year. They lost finals. They lost Chris Oladokun, who is their quarterback. I believe he's on the Steelers. He got drafted by the Steelers. I don't know if he'll make that uh, team. But they open against Iowa. No line as of recording right now. But something that you brought up, week two, Iowa plays their arch rival, Iowa State. They're not a flashy team. We know that. What is this number open as? Because, I mean, if it's double digits, I, I think you got to look long and hard at the Jackrabbits. My thought, and I don't power rate the FCS, but my thought was somewhere in the 12 to 14 range was kind of where I put this one, especially as you mentioned with South Dakota State losing their quarterback. But... You know, last year, Jeff Sagarin had South Dakota State in the 67-68 range in terms of his ratings. Iowa was in that 80-82 to 82 range, and that's kind of, you know, where it seems like he has them for the preseason this year. South Dakota State is better than a lot of group of five teams. This will be a very interesting test for Iowa, again, especially with that look-ahead game next week taking on Iowa State. Another spot I want to mention, because this article will go up tomorrow morning, uh, probably as a good compliment to the podcast, so Georgia State and South Carolina is a really intriguing game to me because Sean Elliott coached at South Carolina for six years. He's a South Carolina native. He was the interim head coach in 2015. Now he's taking the Georgia State Panthers to williams Bryce. So he's returning there for the first time. This number's moved up a little bit here too where you've got South Carolina in that 13 or so range now, 12 and a half, 13. My number's 11, so it's getting a little bit high, I think. I know people are understandably high on the Gamecocks with Spencer Rattler and you know the job that Shane Beamer's done recruiting there, but that's a real interesting game where South Carolina tends to not win by margin a whole lot, and they get a Georgia State team that will be exceptionally motivated for that one. Yeah, Georgia State's got a couple good opportunities early on. Week two, uh, they get to play uh, North Carolina at home. Also, South Carolina, I don't know if they're overlooking it, but they do go on the road week two to take on Arkansas, so it's... It's right out of the shoot for the game. There's a lot of early conference games this year yeah. that are interesting little spots. So, uh, yeah, that is a, that's a good one to keep an eye on. All right, make sure to check out all of Adam's written content, vcin.com. Uh, I will be back on Thursday afternoon. Myself and Matt Humans will be breaking down the entire Labor Day card. Uh, but for Adam Burke at Skating Tripods, I am Tim Murray. Please uh, subscribe to the podcast. Once again, three podcasts in your feed each and every week right here on the VEASAN College Football Betting Podcast.